victorious in the kingdom of God. But it's not easy. Turn me up a little bit, DK, if you would, please. It's just not easy to do. And today's message is for anyone who has ever said, you know, pastor, living the Christian life isn't as easy as you make it sound. Okay? So, so this is for you. Why is it so difficult at times to live for the Lord? Why does it seem that we just can't live up to our own standard of what God's standard is? You know, Mike put up that song, that the, the chorus of the very first song he put up there, that says, Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. If you think living the Christian life is easy, go read that Sermon on the Mount again. You know, there's stuff in there that you think, wow, it's not just what I do, it's how I feel. It's not just what I say, it's what I think. You know, it's, there's so much more to, to being successful in a Christian life. I want to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I talked last, last week about being filled with the Spirit of God. And I think every time I read where Jesus said to Peter, the Spirit is willing, or the flesh is willing, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, I think He's talking to me. You know, I'd like to, but somehow or another, I just don't make it in, in so many ways. I want to serve Jesus, and I believe that that's something I could say about you too. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't have some desire to serve God. So why is it so tough? Why is it hard to pray? You know, we're just, just talking to God. Why, why is it hard to pray? Why, why do I have such a difficult time setting aside a time to study my Bible? I know I need to study it. So why is it difficult? How come every time I begin with the intention of doing the right thing, somehow or another I end up giving away to temptation and not, and not doing what I should? Why do I have trouble getting along with other people? Why, why do I have trouble getting along with my wife, I, I don't have trouble getting along with my wife. She has trouble getting along with me. But why, why do we have so much trouble in our personal relationships, in our family relationships? You, know, you might say, you know, I don't like to gossip, but I talk about other people a lot. And I don't like it when my temper explodes. I want control over my temper, but somehow or another, it gets away from me at times. You know, I would really like to be a, crit a, a committed Christian living every day for the Lord. I would like to grow. I would like to practice the spiritual disciplines. I would like to become everything that God wants me to be. But it's a tough. It's not easy to do. And this sermon, this message this morning, is, uh, is for anybody who said ever said any of those things. 
Because we'll never understand any of that. We'll never be able to understand what it means to live successfully as a kingdom citizen in the kingdom of God until we understand this very basic principle. We are at war. It is a war. When God begins to do business in a church, the church draws opposition. When God begins to do something in your life, whenever you make a commitment to serve the Lord, you draw opposition. You draw a battle. You know, when when you make a new friend in Jesus, you obtain a new enemy. Because there is an element, Bible talks about it, that despises Christ and despises the things of God. And it's very, very real. And we need to be aware of it and work to overcome it. And, and the good news, I guess, is that there's a reason you can't live like you want to. The better news is that God has a plan for that. You know, He doesn't just leave us to struggle on our own. There's victory, as this last song said, there's victory in Jesus. It belongs to us. Jesus has already secured it. But we need to learn to walk in it. So this morning, I want us to take some time this morning to talk about and consider spiritual warfare. What is it? How can I win? Because there's a real battle going on. The battle that's going on makes the battle in the Congress look minuscule by comparison. There's a real battle going on in our country, in our life, in our families, in our churches. And it's in and around every one of us. Listen to what Paul says as he comes to the... He's, he's coming to the end now of this, this book where he wrote to the Ephesians on how to be the church in the world. How to be the church that God dreamed in his mind and how to be that church in the world. I'm going to begin reading with verse 10 of the 6th chapter. Chapter... 6, Ephesians, verse 10. Finally, you know, Paul was a preacher because you can always tell because a lot of times he says finally and then he doesn't quit. You know? Uh, but uh, here's what he says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, And with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition 
for all the saints. And Paul draws a picture there of a battle with a Roman army, is what is what the picture there is. And you know, there is so much in those what six verses. We could, uh, you know, we we could spend the rest of the year looking at those and trying to understand what he says. The good news is, is that I'm going to do it this morning and next week, and that's and 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 you're going to have to get get a running grasp of it and understand what he says. But he starts out by saying, "Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and powers and world forces of this darkness." against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. What, what he is saying there is the battle is an invisible battle. It's not one that you can see. It's not a battle against flesh and blood. It's a battle against evil forces. It's a battle against evil spirits in our world. And Satan is never concerned with humans' methods. You know, there, there are a lot of things that we can think of, and, and as a church, I've been to all kinds of conferences as a pastor of a church. I've been to all kinds of conferences and learned all kinds of things about how churches grow and how they reach people. But, you know, the, the truth is, is that nothing happens until the spiritual battle is won. Nothing happens until a church begins to win the spiritual battle. Paul says, struggle is not against flesh and blood. The King James uses the word wrestle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Have you ever seen a real wrestling match? Have you ever been to a high school wrestling match or a college wrestling match? You know, not the kind where they jump on the edge of the ropes and jump over and do flips and bounce on one another. That's entertainment. Have you ever been to one where where 210-pound Boys are struggling and grasping one another and doing everything they can just to keep from being pinned or to, to pin the other person. That's the kind of, of uh, a picture that, that Paul is painting here. We, we struggle, we wrestle in this invisible battle. It's, it's a totality. And then he says who, who we're battling against. It's not flesh and blood. It's not other people. The battle is against rulers. The, the meaning of the word rulers are the ones who are in control. Not physical control, but spiritual control. You know, we battle against the one who has spiritual control over us. The powers, those that have spiritual authority over us. Then he says, the world forces of this darkness, those in this world that are in the control of Satan. And then he says the spiritual forces of wickedness. You know, that's, a, that's a pretty bleak picture. But what he's picturing here is that, that there are forces that are unseen in our world that are, that are wicked, they're satanic. You know, the, the word wickedness there actually means depravity. They're depraved. You know, and... And if, if you give in to those forces, then your life becomes depraved. And we're battling against those forces that, that are in our world. And the history of the world is the history of this conflict. I've been reading a, a history of Spain. <clears throat> and it, it's really interesting. <coughs> <coughs> 
you know, you, you, you've read the American history of when Spain came to the Americas and South America and how the Spanish conquistadors came in and they took everything away, the, the silver and the gold, and they took everything away from the, the Incas and the native people who were here. And you think, well, that was an awful thing to do. But, you know, the Romans did the same thing to the Spaniards. You know, and the Visigoths, I learned this last night, the Visigoths did the same thing to the Romans. You know, and then the, and then the Moors coming up did the same thing to the Visigoths. You know, it's just one time after, our whole history of our earth is, is war, is battle. That's what it's about. But in the spiritual thing, the whole history of our life, of our world, is a very real battle between humanism and depravity. Paul says it's the spiritual forces of depravity. And our, our uh, ancestors, our, our um, reformed ancestors, taught that man has a depraved nature. We're depraved to begin with. And without conversion, it's bad and getting worse. And that's what Paul said. You know, how many people have sinned in the world? All. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In, in Romans chapter 2, he says, how many did he say were good in Romans chapter 2? None. There's none who does good. There's none who follows after God. And so if you, if you look at the history in our world from the Old Testament all the way through to today and the things that are going on in our world around us, the world is depraved. And it's getting worse at maybe an alarming rate. Now, listen to me, okay? This is not a political statement. Okay? Our president is known for being a liar. He, um, he's on his third marriage. And they, they, they weren't good. He's been caught on tape saying things that are totally unacceptable. If you had a tape of me saying those things, I'd be gone. You'd kick me out before, before the day was over. And I know he's the president, not the pastor. I, I understand that. But what does the Bible say about the righteousness of a nation's leader? What does it say? You know? Now, how did we get that guy? How did he get to be president? Well, the person that he was running with was no better. It was bad on both sides. Maybe worse. And you'll never convince me that the two best people for the leadership in our country were the two we had to choose from. You'll never convince me of that. Depravity is winning. It's beating us. Do you, do you remember 
Anybody remember the name Alexander Solzhenitsyn? Anybody? Fantastic. Uh, he was a Russian author who was arrested uh, by Stalin and put into the what he called the, the Russian gulag, the concentration camps where they kept their political prisoners and their spiritual prisoners. Uh, and when he was released from the gulag, from the Russian death camps, he came to America. And there he wrote, continued to write about the depravity that he saw in, uh, in the Russian gulag. And eventually he turned around and began to write about the depravity he saw while he was here in America. And, and here's, what he, here's what he said. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. You know, he was saying the same thing that Paul says. The power of evil in our world is stronger than you or I even want to imagine. Satan, folks, is superior to you. He's stronger than you are. He's stronger than you and me together. And that's who our battle's with. That's who our battle's with. So as we begin to do that battle and think about that battle, we need to realize there's a word from the Lord. Paul says, if you're going to fight this battle, if you're going to wrestle in this way, you need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. When he says, be strong in the Lord, the verb there is in a passive voice. You, you know what a passive voice means? A pa- an, an active voice is a verb where the subject is doing the action. Okay? The boy hit the ball. That's an active voice. Passive voice is where the subject is being acted upon. The ball was hit by the boy. So was hit, in that case, becomes passive voice because it talks about the way the ball was hit. And I go through all that. I'm not giving you a grammar lesson. I just want you to understand that in this passage, the verb, be strong, is passive. It's a passive voice. And what that means is that the subject is acting upon. So it's not saying, do everything you can to be strong in the Lord. It's saying, let God make you strong. Let God make you strong. The, it, it, we're, we're passive in this. God is the one who's doing the action. Let God strengthen you. You don't work in your own strength. You work in the Lord's strength. Paul says, God is saying, here, let me strengthen you. And I got to tell you, I would much rather have God's power working on me than me trying to work into God's power. Amen? Think about that for a second. That's the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave that's available to us. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength. That's the, the manifested power of God. And in the strength of His might, which is the inherent power of God. Out of the might of God, out of His might comes our strength to combat the evil in our lives and in our worlds. 
John says in, uh, in the first chapter that he wrote, he says, But as many as received Him, and that Him is Christ, but as many as received Him, to them He gave the right, the power, is the word that's there, to be the sons of God. So when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God imparts to us the power to be His children. God imparts to us the power to live in His kingdom. It's there for us. But the Christian life is the movement of a power outside of us. God saved us. You didn't save yourself. He redeemed you. And then He gave you the power to live. How did you get saved? Did you get saved by by trying really, really, really hard? You get saved by, by stopping and letting God do His work in you. And that's how you walk as a Christian. In God's power. We need all of that. Before we even go into battle, we need to realize that we're strengthened by God. And then he talks about the weapons to fight with. The armor. Put on the armor of God. Because in God's strength, we have the ability to fight Satan. First of all, he says... <laughs> he says, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having everything done everything stand firm. One of the things that we're able to do is that we know how Satan works. And so we ought to be able, knowing his methods, we ought to be able to look ahead and know his plans and schemes and understand. The first thing you have to realize is that he's after you. He's after you. Now that you know that he's after you, surely he, you know, maybe he won't sneak up on you if you realize that, that he's out to, to get you. The, Paul calls it in 2 Corinthians, he calls it the schemes of the devil. Um, he says, in order that no advantage be taken us by Satan, we're not ignorant of his schemes. The word is methodias, the methods. We, we, we know his methods. We can know his plans, his schemes. We know what He's after and how He's going to get you. And that's what we're going to look at next week or Satan's schemes to get to us. Uh, but, but just real briefly, here's what he says. Revelation 12.9 says that Satan is a liar. He's a deceiver. You know, God is always true. Satan is a liar. You can always believe God. If, if I could just get anything into every mind here, it would be this. You can always believe God. He's always true. He never lies. Satan uses deceit. John 8.44 says that he's a liar. And not only is he a liar, he is the father of all lies. All lies descend from him. 2 Peter 2.1 says that he uses false teaching. He'll, he'll, he'll get to us with, with false teaching. In Revelation 12.10 it says, He is an accuser. And, 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 and if you look through, uh, through Scripture, you'll, first of all, you realize that that's what the name means. Satan means the accuser. And every time you see Satan in Scripture, do you know what he's doing? He's accusing. Th- think about it. In Job, where, where Satan shows up, 
He's accusing God. He's, or first, he goes before Job. He goes before God and accuses Job. And says, and, and, and says God, Job isn't as good as you think he is. You know, he's only good because you think he's good. And then he accuses God to Job. He says to Job, Job, you know, God, God doesn't, you know, God's doing all these things to you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't like you. He starts out, he accuses Eve. He, he talks to Eve. When he talks to Eve, do you know what he says? What he does, he accuses God of lying. He says, God didn't really say that fruit was bad for you. Did he? You know, surely he didn't. Well, it's not good. It's, it's good for you. It's great fruit. He, he, he accuses God to Eve. He accused Job to God. God to Job. He causes us to accuse one another. And one day, He's going to accuse you before the judgment seat of Christ. He's the prosecuting attorney, you may say. And if you're not careful, He'll slip into your home, He'll slip into your church, He'll slip into your life, and He will get you to accuse one another and at each other's throats, never drawing attention to himself, but accusing others. (laughs) This is a pretty extreme statement, but think about it a minute. Anytime you're making an accusation, about another person you're acting like Satan another another one of his tools is doubt that's how he began with Eve indeed God did God really say that Eve you know and and you just need to realize that we're fighting that battle. And there, there are limitations on what, Je- on what Satan can do because we know there's already victory in Jesus. In 1 John, John says, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. You know, he, when you're walking with God, the evil one cannot touch you. God has given us authority he says in, in, in Luke ten nineteen. he says, I've given authority to you to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will enter, injure you. He cannot take away your salvation. And then he talks about the armor of God. You know, there, there's, a, there's a whole series of sermons that you could preach about the the armor of God. You could preach two or three sermons on each one of these pieces of armor. Uh, you know, he talks about the girdle of truth. And I've already talked to you about that. Folks, God is true. God is truth. You believe God, His Word is true. You know, that Jesus is the truth. And truth can always win over falsehood. But you have to believe the truth. You can believe Satan's lies. 
You can believe Satan's deceits or you can believe God's truth. And God is always true. Then he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. You know, when it, we, we are righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And if we keep in Christ's righteousness, I'm not, I'm not talking about you always doing good things and doing everything right. I'm talking about you living in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When you're living in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you have on the breastplate of righteousness and Satan can't get through that breastplate. His fiery darts can't handle that. You live and protect yourself in the righteousness of Christ. And so first of all, I would say, be true. Understand that God's word is truth. And then understand that Christ is righteous. And live in His righteousness. And then he talks about the shoes of the gospel of peace. What is the gospel? Real quickly, what, what, what is the gospel? The gospel is that if you'll live a good life and do lots of good deeds and you do everything right, when you get to the end of your life, if you've done enough good things, you'll get to heaven. Huh? That's not it? What is the gospel? The gospel is God loves you and He's provided for your salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Grace alone in Christ alone is our salvation. Folks, that's what enables us to stand firm. You know, the shoes of the soldier enabled him to stand firm and move quickly. It's the gospel that allows us to do that. And then he says the helmet of salvation. And then he goes on, he says one more thing. He says, we have one offensive weapon. All the armor of God is defensive. There's one offensive weapon. Do you see what it is? The sword. And what's the sword? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that brought me back, when, when, I, when I was thinking about that, it brought me back to that statement by Martin Luther that I was looking at back on the 500th anniversary of Luther's Reformation where Martin Luther just simply said, my conscience has been taken captive by the word of God and to go against scripture is neither right nor safe. Folks, that, that's our weapon. No matter what else happens, we use God's weapon which is the Word of God. We believe God. We believe His Word. We trust Jesus. We live in Jesus. And that's what allows us to win in this battle. The armor of God is necessary to live successfully in the kingdom of God. And, you know, the, the truth is, is that Satan doesn't really have to fight most of what we do. It's, it's, not, it's not a battle against him anyway. Satan doesn't really have to fight most of the way that, that we live and most of what goes on in our life. But if you get serious with God, there will be a battle. There will be a battle. In your personal life, there will be a battle. 
How does the battle go with you? Does evil and Satan seem to be control? Is there an area in your life where you know you're being disobedient to God's word? And you wonder why you lose the battle? Are you wearing the helmet of salvation? Do you have that helmet on to protect you from all the, the, the battle of the evil one? Man, you want to live for Christ in the kingdom of God? Well, God's provided everything you need. But it's not easy. Unless you think it's easy, just go back and read the Sermon on the Mount. Read it literally. It's not easy. Jesus says, the scripture says, thou shalt not murder. You don't murder. Hopefully nobody in here has ever committed a murder. Uh, except Jesus says, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder already. Uh-oh. It's a little bit more serious. It's not easy. You need the word of God. You need the truth of God. You need the spiritual armor that God provides. And then we can begin to live successfully in the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your provision. Thank you for the way you provide to us a way we can live successfully even in the midst of a depraved world. Father, we just lift our hearts to you. Lift our congregation to you. In Jesus' name.